You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So this week, we're talking menopausal weight gain with Diana Reed of The Global Dietitian. Diana is licensed as a dietitian in both the U.S. and Luxembourg and works with clients that are seeking to improve their health and quality of life through balanced eating and what she calls a more peaceful relationship with food and their bodies. Diana is also 53. She lifts weights. She runs, rides bikes, and has written about her own journey with body changes and weight gain after going through early menopause at 42 due to surgery for PCOS and endometriosis. I have a lot of mixed emotions about this one. Not this show. I absolutely loved this interview. But with the topic, I've been very upfront and honest about my whole journey with weight. I, I wrote about weight for women's health and fitness magazines for a couple of decades. And Lord knows how many weight loss pieces we did thousands. And for a long time, I thought I was doing something good, helping women get healthier because I believed like so many of us did that controlling weight was the key to maintaining health. And more importantly, I believe that you could control weight. As I got deeper into the science and worked with hundreds of women, it became very, very clear to me that none of it was that simple. For one, weight can be protective. And this is something that we just don't talk about enough. Just this past February in 2021, I wrote about a UCLA study that was published that looked at more than 11,000 adults, half men, half women, that found that both men and women, as expected, had a lower risk of cardiovascular disease death if they had higher muscle mass. No surprise there. However, in women, but not men, higher body fat was also associated with a lower risk of dying from heart disease, no matter what their muscle was. And that was in the Journal of the American Heart Association. That was a big study in a big journal. And it's not the only one that has found benefits of body fat in women as a protective element. I've also grown to have a lot of issues with this idea that we can tightly control our weight. For sure, some people can, but for others, it is a lifelong battle. And I've seen it a million times. You put 30 women on the same regimen, some will lose, most will actually stay about the same, and some will actually gain. Throw in menopause, it's a whole other ball of wax. We often talk about menopause as puberty in reverse. Remember puberty? You sprouted breasts, you grew hips, you maybe got curvier all the way around, and nobody ever said to you, my God, what have you done? They accepted that you were going through this natural process. Well, when those hormones reverse course, your body is also going to respond to that, and it's also going to change. Only now we beat ourselves up and feel like we've somehow failed if we have a belly when we didn't before, even though maybe, just maybe, our body is adding padding to protect us. 
And all of this is not to say that I don't understand why these body changes can upset us, especially as performance-minded women who are very, very used to following training plans and getting results based on our actions. And I'm not saying that there's nothing that any of us can do to work with our changing physiology during this time to maintain our healthiest body composition. And yes, lose some weight if we have some weight to lose. There are, I'm not saying that that's bad to want that or any of that, which is why it's so hard to, to walk. I mean, I'm just being honest. It's very hard to walk these lines and acknowledge this is a natural process. Some change is inevitable. And yes, you know, there's also ways that we can work with our body. All of those things are true and they're all complex and nuanced. So what I, what I am saying in the end is that with hormonal changes in time, our bodies are going to change. That's inevitable. And maybe we don't have to hate them for it. As I've gotten older, I've really appreciated that life is too short and too precious for that. That's why this week's conversation on weight gain and menopause is not going to be 10 ways to lose your menopause because you are never, ever, 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 ever going to hear me do a show like that. But it's a nuanced discussion on what's happening, why it's happening, acknowledging that it is happening. And yes, with some advice on what we can do to be our healthiest, happiest selves during this time of change. I hope you appreciate it and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Okay, before we get to the show, as always, quick little weekly reminder to join us on our social media channels. We are at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have that private and ever-growing Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel where you can come in and join our conversations. And if you want to deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we have the Feisty Menopause membership where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts. You can learn all about that and our upcoming summit, which is next month in Boulder at feistymenopause.com. Remember, there's also an email. So if you have guest suggestions or want to drop me a line, I'm at hipplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. As always, I want to thank you for the reviews, the hearts, the ratings. They are still coming in. They're helping the show grow. And I appreciate you. Okay, truly enough of me. A few words from our awesome sponsors and we'll get to the show. Women who ride bikes, and I am most certainly one of them, know that finding women's cycling clothing can be an exercise in frustration, right? And that's why I am so psyched that one of my favorite women-owned and operated clothing companies, Velarosa, has come on as a sponsor of Hit Play, Not Pause. Velarosa's kits feature bold, beautiful, colorful prints and patterns. And the collections, which I really love, are designed so you can mix and match the coordinating pieces to get more mileage out of your cycling wardrobe. Best of all, they fit like a dream. The chamois is super comfortable and perfectly placed. The yoga waistband hugs your midsection without digging in anywhere. And the leg bands are like 100% functional and flattering with no squeezy sausage leg effect that is a big nope for me. Whether you like to ride pavement, gravel, dirt, or your local trail system, Velarosa's got you covered beautifully. And now, thanks to their sponsorship, Hit Play Not Pause listeners can get 15% off their first order at VelarosaCycling.com. 
Just enter the code HIT PLAY, all caps, one word, at checkout. Again, that's VelarosaCycling.com, the code HIT PLAY for 15% off. So go get some sweet Velarosa cycling clothing today. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash menopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash menopause. I can tell you it works. All right. Well, I am so stoked that you answered my little cold call and joined me on the show today. Um, This is, oh, you know, Diana, this is something that I've been struggling with because I have heard from the time I started writing about menopause, which was like when I was 28, you know, and, and all through, and I used to accept it. I used to accept, like, I would say these women are saying they gain all this weight, you know, like really quickly. And everybody I would interview would be like, well, no, that's not menopause. You know, they're like, they're probably slowing down or they're probably busy or they're probably, you know, their metabolism is dropped, like all the things, but they would be like, no, that that's just not possible. And I thought they're not making it up, but you know, like I, I, I had a hard time at that point pushing back, but now that I'm older and in this space and I'm, I'm check. Right. And I'm seeing like the women in our audience have training plans. They work in training peaks. Like they, they've been trained, they've been tracking their training for decades, some of them. So they know, like, you know, I saw this from this, a a woman who is a friend of a friend, but she, she wrote a whole very heartfelt post on menopause saying riding bikes for 25 years. I'm 52, you know, and 49 years old, seemingly out of the blue, I gained 18 pounds in three months. Nothing has changed in my life. And in the past, no, I can tell you, I would talk to people and they'd be like, nah, but I don't buy that. And I'd love, you know, some of the, your writing makes me feel like if nothing else, you'll tell women that that is, that that could be true, even if they're active. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's so many things I could say about this particular question. Um, The first thing I would say is, 
Yeah, absolutely. It happened to me. So my story is I had to go through an early menopause due to endometriosis and surgery. So I went through menopause right after I had uh, my twins who are now 12. And since that time, that must have been telling, something. Oh, it was a handful. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I three, three kids ages zero to three. Uh, and you're going into sort of surgical like, menopause. Yes, going into menopause. Exactly. Um, oh, I was also going to grad school to, to changing careers to become a dietitian as I am now. So yeah, that's a whole other story. Okay. But since that period of time, I have gained about 20 pounds. I'm still super athletic. I work out anywhere from four to six days a week. I'm not riding professionally or competitively, um, but I started doing CrossFit during that period of time, which I'm now not really doing because I found it meant later menopause. It's really hard on my body. Um, so we'll get back to that in a, in a second in terms of kind of listening to your body. But yeah, I mean, I think the same way that women gain different amounts of weight when they're pregnant, the same way that women's bodies change, you know, going through puberty or your 20s or 30s, there's a really big diversity in how menopause affects people. So I think when when doctors or the literature is saying, oh, well, the average is we kind of get stuck on what that average is, but you know, like any bell curve, there are people on the tails. So we have to remember that there's diversity in body types in or outside of menopause. Um, and we have to refuse to be gaslit by other people that say, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, you know, just live with it because it is really distressing for a lot of people. Um, and I think our society and our culture, and I could really go into this one for hours too, make this really challenging because we as women typically are supposed to be, you know, thin. We're supposed to be, we have this thin white norm um, that doesn't fit everybody. It fits hardly anybody, even again, outside of menopause. But as we go through a menopause, we don't all go through it the same way. And at the same time, you know, my story in terms of surgical menopause, like was a whole other weird thing where I literally just walked off the cliff one day because I, you know, because I had my ovaries removed. So, and then we did some hormone replacement therapy or some um, MHT for a while and then not. And so then it was like, I was going through menopause a second time when we stopped doing that. So yeah, a definite, a definite uh, S show as we might say. So I think the important thing to remember is that every single person's body is unique and you're not going to have that same experience as your best friend or your neighbor, or sometimes even your mom or your sister. There are some genetic links to what it looks like when we go through menopause and how we go through menopause. But like a lot of other things, it's really not within our control, which I think is where we really get distressed and uncomfortable, especially um, athletic women. Can I say that? Because yes. Like we're yes. always, always like we trust the process and we, yeah. you know, like we, the process has been working so far and we control our controllables. And all of a sudden there's like, there's yeah. a lot, our controllables have shrunk. Yeah. And I will say again, me being super athletic my entire life, I totally get that. Like we, you know, we've got our spreadsheets, we've got our checklists, we've got our grams of carbs, we've got our, you know, water, we've got all of our different things kind of dialed in and we've got, you know, our high intensity, we've got our long, slow rides. We've, we've got everything mapped out to the degree that we can control it. And generally our body follows along. Um, 
but by the same token, this idea of control over our bodies, I think is, it's a bit of a house of cards because we're kind of taught by society. We're kind of taught that, yes, we can control our body. We can diet it into whatever shape it wants to be. We can exercise it into whatever performance we want it to be. But just like performance, you know, we're not all, you know, Olympic we're not athletes. all the Olympics this right. week. <laughs> right. right, exactly. So yeah, I can eat the same way as, you know, Simone Biles or I, you know, I could do all these things, but I'm not going to be her. So again, I think sometimes just pulling ourselves back up to that 10,000 foot level and remembering that my body is my body. My body isn't her body or your body or the next person's body. <sighs> okay. And, and, and my big piece, you know, sort of advice, and I know it's a crappy piece of advice sometimes because <laughs> people just, people are just mad, you know, they're mad at their bodies. They're disappointed in their bodies. They're upset with their body. But my big piece of advice tends to be when I'm working with people as a, as a nutritionist, as a dietitian is curiosity. So rather than being judgmental and angry and pissed off and just like, I'm going to punish my body into mm -hmm. looking like mm -hmm. it did five years ago or 10 years ago, getting really curious with like, okay, hmm. so if I, what I was doing before doesn't seem to really work, huh? okay, what, what could I play around with a little bit? What could I tweak a little bit? What, you know, taking stock of all of my habits, you know, how's my sleep? How's my stress? Am I overdoing the cardio right now? Am I underdoing the strength training? Those aren't all going to be magical answers, but again, just kind of taking an inventory and getting curious, like, is there anything noticeable that has changed that I want to kind of dial back in? And, or is there, if I've always been eating this one way and now that's not working, okay, well, let's get curious and, and try some new things rather than obviously the answer is I must lose weight and follow intermittent fasting or keto or, or something really aggressive and hardcore that ultimately further gets in the way of your performance. Right. 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 But before we, before we travel down that road and I yeah. definitely want to yeah. travel down that road, let's yeah. pull back a little bit and talk mm -hmm. about maybe the whys. I mean, we, I know we don't have yeah. all the answers of the whys, but you know, you wrote a, a passage in, in one of your posts that I thought was super interesting. And, and it's always been something that I've suspected is behind a lot of this, you know, like, um, as you mentioned, every woman's menopause looks different, right? Like, but our, our sex hormones, they decline and flatline for some women. That's a bit of a roller coaster ride. And then a gradual for some women, it's not, you know, not as abrupt as surgical, but it is a bit of a cliff. Like some women really go off a cliff. And you mentioned that fat cells produce estrogen, you know, it's a weaker form, but they do produce it. And I'm wondering if there's a relationship there that like, you know, in some women, when they lose it, their body goes, Whoa, we got to make estrogen. Let's, let's pump up production one way or another. You know, I mean, it, it makes intuitive sense. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of factors in terms of the menopausal weight gain. Um, some people will say, like you were you were sort of hinting at earlier that, oh, it's just aging. It's nothing to do with the menopause. It's just, you know, that kind of gaslighting thing. Um, there are a bunch of changes that kind of happen at the same time. So there's aging, plus there's menopause and, and tearing them all apart can be challenging. 
But it is really true that that plummet of estrogen has myriad impacts on the body. So estrogen's role besides, you know, fertility and reproduction is also to regulate our cholesterol levels. Mm. One of estrogen's roles is also to regulate bone health. So if our body literally jumps off that cliff, our body is like, wait, whoa, this is not (laughs) good. This is not good. Like all of a sudden we're increasing our cholesterol and our risk for cardiovascular disease. Oh my gosh, we've got bone health issues. And then estrogen also regulates to a certain degree, some of our metabolism. And so we can start to see as estrogen goes down, we can see increasing prevalence or risk for things like insulin resistance. Um, We also know that when estrogen decreases, we see decreased fat oxidation in adipose tissue. And then the big thing, going back to what you were just saying is yes. So our body says, whoa, we're missing estrogen and estrogen is in charge of so many of these things. We need to find a way to prop ourselves up. So the irony and the sadness, I think for some people is that yes, our fat cells, especially the fat cells around our middle are, you know, are sort of um, central adiposity as it's called in scientific terms, estrogen is produced by fat cells. However, it's not a very efficient production So it's one of those things where there's a little bit that's kind of eked out and put into circulation in our bloodstream. So then our body is like, well, we still need more. So then we have this situation where we're continuing to put on those, those fat cells around our middle. Yeah. So there's a bunch of things that all are kind of gate kept by estrogen. And in the absence of estrogen, the body does have a little bit of a, what do we do now? And so to try and regulate itself, it will produce more estrogen via fat cells. And of course, that's going to be different for every body in terms of, again, genetics, lifestyle, and that unknowable thing, like really what is our level of estrogen and how much does, did it drop and what does our body need right now? So some people do put on weight, I think a lot faster just because that's their body's response to it. Some people may be having a a slower, um, you know, downhill run with their estrogen. So their body isn't necessarily in kind of that, that state of panic. So I'm hearing, Mm -hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, that there, there's, though we hear all about the, the risks of visceral abdominal Mm -hmm. fat, that there might, uh, there might be a, somewhat of a benefit to this fat protective? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you're totally right. And I would say it's a tough one because medically doctors and the whole sort of medical community are so focused on weight and fat and obesity that, you know, if you asked a lot of doctors, they would say, oh my God, any weight is horrible and bad. But the reality is that there are situations, yeah, our body is actually trying to protect us. And so some weight gain can help keep our cholesterol levels managed. It can help keep our bones stronger for a period of time. And there have been some studies. In fact, I think I wrote one down, um, but I'll probably, um, I'll send that to you so you can put it in the show notes. But yeah, there was um, a 2001 study that showed that moderate weight gain um, actually had a cardioprotective effect. 
um, uh, in there was a really living. interesting study. I don't know if you saw mm -hmm. it. I, I wrote it about uh, thick thighs save lives, but it was actually yeah. um, a very large study that found weight of any kind is protective in women, but not men, yeah. which was yeah. very interesting. It just came out last year. It was a huge study. Yeah. Yeah. And this is an older one. I mean, I think, and we're, we might be jumping ahead. So pull me back if you need to, but I think one of the reasons that all of these studies and discussions around weight gain or um, visceral adiposity being so dangerous are so problematic because they don't take into account the side effects of dieting, you know? Mm -hmm. So they talk about, oh, you shouldn't have this weight, but it's not like we just magically flip a switch and we lose that weight. It's not like we, yeah, we take a pill and we lose that weight. The The problem with a lot of those studies that connect weight with other medical conditions is that they don't take into account the harms and the unintended consequences of dieting, especially really rapid or restrictive sorts of diets. Um, and I think that's another place that I would love, whether we do it right now or in a few more minutes to, to kind of talk about as well. No, I, I think that's very important. I think there's so much, I mean, we could, we could talk about the problems and the, the situation forever because these studies tend to be general population studies. Mm -hmm. and, uh, honestly, my audience isn't general population. They're simply right. not. Uh, you yeah. know, we, we know that something like less than a quarter is maybe 20% of people even meet the bare minimum exercise guidelines mm -hmm. and that, you know, my audience, right. they, they do that on Saturday yeah. morning, warming up. Totally. You know? So it, it's, yeah. it, it's yeah. just not this. Yeah. Well, I think my point in, in terms of thinking about these guidelines or these concerns about central adiposity and that kind of thing um, are, are a little bit misguided because number one, as we just discussed that, yes, certain amounts of waking during menopause can be cardioprotective yes. and can be protective again, against osteoporosis, um, you know, muscle loss, that sort of thing. And on the flip side, there's been a lot of studies that have shown, um, including with menopausal women that when we cut our calories too drastically. So if we're really thinking about, Oh my God, I have to cut down to 1200 calories or whatever that is, whatever ridiculous number that is, then what we find is that is actually really damaging to the body. So this thing that we're trying to head off then becomes this massive problem where, especially at, you know, the menopause premenopausal age, really restrictive dieting leads to muscle loss. Well, we can't afford that as we're going into to menopause in our older years. We want to avoid, you know, what's called sarcopenia, which is muscle wasting. Those restrictive diets lead to massive bone loss. Well, we can't afford that either, right? So it's not like when we diet, we can just say, well, just take a little bit off the middle, <laughs> right? So when we do super restrictive dieting and we cut calories really quickly, what we end up losing first is muscle and then bone. And oftentimes our body holds on to fat as a protective mechanism. So this idea that we're helping ourselves by, you know, really just diving in the deep end of, of dieting because of the discomfort we have around our body in menopause is definitely not, not a good one. 
Um, Where the hell did that 1200 calorie come from? Oh, I we used to know. write that all the time in prevention. And I'm, I have apologized. I can't tell you how many times I've apologized <laughs> on the show. I am yeah. going to apologize again, like for just parroting yeah. that from people because we wrote yeah. that like 1200 calories. So 400 yeah. calories of breakfast and lunch. like, that's where the horrible. hell did that come from? It's I don't know. Horrible. I mean, that's what like an eight year old would need to, to survive. That is just not even responsible for any sort of adult human being. Um, and, yeah. And, and to your point with our audience, yeah. I think there's another layer that I'd like to add, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is low energy availability, which they used to yes. call red. Yeah. Well, they used to red call S. It, yeah. yeah, red S it's, it's now mm-hmm. called red S, which is a yes. very big concern in this Absolutely. In the female audience because fem- women perform better in a fed state. And when they're not in a fed state, all kinds of yeah. terrible things happen. Right. Right. And I was listening to the interview you did a few weeks ago with somebody about thyroid disorders Yes, and Exactly. So when we are not properly fed, again, we are tearing down muscle, we are making our bones weaker. And that lower energy availability also then can have some really bad hormonal effects, because we really need things like carbohydrates to fuel any kind of activity. And certain, you know, hormones, neurotransmitters, and things like thyroid hormone are all keyed off of sufficient, you know, caloric intake. So the answer isn't necessarily to go from, well, what I was doing obviously didn't work to, you know, 180 degrees, but I think it's a matter of kind of starting to find some areas that you can play around with and change that aren't going to be jumping down, you know, from 2,500 calories to 1,200, you know, that, that is not the place we want to be, but also knowing that as we age, regardless of menopause, you know, regardless of perimenopause, menopause, our metabolism does slow down. I mean, basically anytime after our thirties, our menopause is just our menopause. Our metabolism is slowly decreasing. Part of that is related to just the natural loss of muscle mass as human yeah. beings, as we age and as Even athletic people, you, right, lose it. Right, you can hang right. on better, but you, mm-hmm. you lose some. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, so for your audience, they're most likely really well protected against that, but just continuing, you know, for anybody that isn't really regularly lifting, you know, heavy mm-hmm. weights that isn't doing some significant exercise now would definitely be, you know, the menopause time period would be the time to do that, to try and head off really significant losses in, in metabolic rate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's go. If you're, if you're ready to sort of go through some, yeah. of, you know, back onto that path of, you know, like, yeah, okay, that wasn't working. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that I do like that I saw on your site that I, <laughs> again, really terrible advice that, that, people used to give was this whole idea of mini meals or grazing or not letting yeah. yourself like, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's not a great practice for any of us, but maybe especially not right now. Like what, what, what it, how, how is it helpful to plan to your energy intake? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things we know about menopause and kind of this loss of estrogen is that it can start to lead to what we call insulin resistance, where our body is not really listening to insulin and insulin is the hormone that allows, you know, sugar carbohydrates to get into our cells after we consume those carbohydrates. So what happens is our body, our pancreas is then producing more and more insulin because the cells aren't opening the door to let the glucose in 
And that can lead to an increased risk for metabolic syndrome, for prediabetes, diabetes. So the challenge around kind of constantly grazing means every time we eat something um, that has, usually it has carbs in it, but even sometimes with protein, our body is then going to produce some insulin to try and take that energy and put it into our cells instead of just having it circulating around our bloodstream. So if we're eating like every couple of hours, we're then having another spike of insulin, another spike of insulin, another spike of insulin. And then if our pancreas is already kind of dodgy and is, is overdoing it anyway, we then can, that can lead to kind of burning out of the, the beta cells in our pancreas, and that can increase the risk for, for diabetes in the long run. Mm -hmm. So as we age, naturally, our pancreas starts to just slow down. So then if we're really making it work hard, by kind of snacking, snacking, snacking throughout the day, that can be further problematic. So I'm not saying don't snack, but what I usually recommend to people is have your three meals a day and then have a goal of eating every four to five hours, because that's usually the way our blood sugar and our energy stays the most stable. So if you're eating breakfast at seven and then lunch is at noon, that's still probably okay. Um, if you have a workout in there somewhere, I would definitely, you know, have something after the workout. If you eat lunch at 12 and dinner's not till eight, definitely having a snack around four or five. Right. Um, so spacing things out every four or five hours, again, when you're going to put a workout in there, that's going to change things up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Fuel your workout or recover right. from it appropriately. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying don't do those normal things that you would do around fueling for, for workouts. Um, but, you know, trying to set things up so that there is a good period of time in between fueling, fueling bouts, if, if you will, um, mm. because that can just kind of give our body a chance to, to go through the digestion process and not just keep the poor pancreas continuing to try and um, uh, produce more insulin. And, and is there a relationship there with um, what, what's happening with your body composition? Is there a benefit there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say, and the science on this one is still, it depends on who you, who you read. There are theories around insulin being the driver of adiposity and that carbs are evil and all of those things that I'm sure, sure you've heard. So the answer lies somewhere in between, you know, carbs being benign and you should eat whatever you want, whenever you want. And, you know, insulin is death. Um, but I would say that the more insulin is produced, actually the more hungry you are, because it's kind of a, a sign that, that your body's trying to figure out how to manage its glucose. And if, insulin overshoots the glucose that can then lead to blood sugar drops and then we get hungry and then we start the process all over. Um, insulin is thought of as a fat storing hormone. I think that's a pretty generic statement that taken out of context isn't super helpful, but I would say that if you have insulin resistance and then, yeah, you're snacking, snacking, snacking all the time, that is going to lead to more weight gain than if you were kind of keeping things pretty st steady state. And then of course, the other piece is, you know, where carbohydrates fit into that whole picture. So um, as you might've seen in that article that I wrote, I don't ever recommend super low carb for anybody. Athletes are not, especially women because of hormonal, um, issues related to, to thyroid and even to things like serotonin. 
um, which is, re which requires carbohydrates um, to produce because we see a lot of people in low carb diets that are very depressed or anxious or angry. I talked to a neuroscientist who's like, yeah. I put a lot of women runners on antidepressants that I yeah. don't think need them. They need to yeah. eat some carbs. Yeah. He, he said that. Totally. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. So I think the choice of carbs tends to be where I focus when I'm working with clients. Um, you know, so we're looking more at not necessarily a low carb diet, but a more low GI diet. So really focusing on things that are really heavy in fiber. Um, right. Again, that's right. going to be harder before training. So right, right. We understand that training is yeah. a, yeah. a different beast. But yeah. in general, you know, thinking about the whole grains, thinking about beans, legumes, pulses, lentils, you know, your fruits and vegetables, really stacking up the fiber. Um, and the, the thing about the, that kind of diet and those types of carbs Number one, that extra fiber, great for our gut. So our gut bacteria thrive off of all different types of plant foods and fibers. And as we get older, I think a lot of women also find that they're constipated. So that's another one where your fiber is going to be really helpful. Fiber also takes much longer to digest. So we're not seeing those blood glucose spikes and then the resulting kind of insulin production to deal with that blood glucose um, and then the third thing in terms of fiber is that fiber is really helpful for managing cholesterol levels. So if we know at menopause that our estrogen is going down, which is shooting our cholesterol up, really staying heavy on fiber, like don't skip the grains, don't, don't skip those things, but, you know, have them in, in proper portion sizes, have them, you know, plenty of fruits and vegetables along with those things. Um, but yeah, I think it's sort of a question of the size of the meal. It's the frequency of the meal and then kind of the composition of the meal and all of those things really factor into the insulin glucose mess. We'll get back to the show in just a moment, but first I want to share more exciting news in case you didn't hear about our menopause summit coming up this September. Along with our virtual summit presentations, there is going to be a live and in-person component in Boulder, Colorado. The live summit will run from September 23rd through the 26th. We'll have educational and practical knowledge sessions on all the topics you'd expect, performance, nutrition, symptom management, mindset, hormones, and more, as well as a lot of fun outdoor activities like hikes, bike rides, swimming, trail runs, yoga sessions, and more. You'll also have the opportunity to meet up with experts with body work, bike fit, and of course, we'll have a few happy hours and meet and greets. And right now, for listening, you can get $50 off registration just by tuning into this podcast. That's right. Listeners of the show get 50 bucks off the live event. Just go to feistymenopause.com, click on the Menopause Summit tab in the upper right-hand corner, and use the coupon code HITPLAY, all caps. Again, $50 off the live event with the code HITPLAY, one, that's one word, all caps. If you can't join us live, totally get it. You can still come and buy tickets for the virtual summit, and you'll get everything. In fact, everybody gets anything, whether you come to join us in Boulder or you tune in to the virtual, everybody will have access to all the sessions that will be recorded and you'll be able to view that content until the end of the year 
on December 31st. So go to feistymenopause.com, read all about our sessions and speakers, learn more, come join us live, come join us virtually, whatever way you can. But if you're listening now and you want to come and spend some time with us in Boulder, live and in person, now is your time to get $50 off the registration. Hit play, all caps. I hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show. Right, right. So are there other unique steps that you, you would have for this audience with trying um, to manage this, this body composition shift? Well, I think one of the things I would say would be, again, going back to that curiosity thing. And I know this mm-hmm. isn't necessarily what you're asking, but I'm going no, okay. to <laughs> throw it out there anyway. You know, um, I think there's a lot of periods in our life where, you know, we talked about pregnancy and obviously not everybody goes through that, but there are are lots of times in our life where our body changes and we don't really have any say over that. And in fact, sometimes we even look forward to those changes and we welcome them and we're curious about them. But because of the way our society is with menopause, you know, we're kind of fearing our attractiveness, our appeal, our youth, and our society is set up to value all of that. So I think also coming to a place of curiosity and not necessarily acceptance, but trying to just sort of say, okay, whoa, yeah, I don't, I don't love this, but I also can't go backwards. Right. Right. So instead of saying, you know, this sucks and I'm, yeah, I'm just going to sit down and, you know, eat, 10 pounds of chocolate. That's not what I'm saying either, but like coming to a place where we say, okay, yeah, I might need to get some new pants. I'm not enjoying this. And I'm in this process. (laughs) (laughs) I might need some new pants. I might need to, you know, yeah, I might need to figure out those afternoon glasses of wine. That might, might not be helping me out either, you know, but, but really looking at how can I be who I am and no matter what body I have? Um, how can I still find a way to be the awesome athlete that I want to be? You know, yes, I can't go backwards. So what, what can I do in this particular phase of life that is going to make me feel super energetic? That's going to make me feel good about myself. Um, you know, do I need to change my fueling? Do I need to change my stress? Do I need to start meditating, which I have started doing because my stress level really sucks. Um, you know, so, so looking at a bunch of different things rather than saying, I have to fight this weight at, no, at whatever cost, because there are costs to, to a lot of the things that we might do to try and get rid of that weight. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and some of those things will exacerbate the other things that set up a negative feedback loop, right? Like if you're stressed about it, if you're wrecking your day and wrecking your sleep, like, yeah, 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 exactly. And so I think, you know, some of the things that, that I talk to, to my clients about are, Again, you know, if you're at a place where you're really struggling with just aging, it's not the menopause piece per se, but it's aging or your relationships with others. If menopause is causing, you know, struggles with your, your, your sexual health or your sexual relationships, or yeah, if you're feeling like, oh my God, I'm an empty nester because my kids are leaving, you know, there's often a bunch of other emotional stuff that's happening for us at this age that we also kind of 
don't always see or don't want to deal with because it's really hard. And so then there's this thing of my body is changing. So clearly that is the thing I'm going to focus on. Right. And in fact, that's one of the things I talk with, with people a lot about is, you know, the reality is health or weight or any metric related to our health isn't just ever narrowed down to one factor. Like it's never just diet. It's never just diet and exercise. It's diet, it's exercise, it's sleep, it's stress, it's genetics, it's trauma. You know, it is more mental health issues. But the problem is, well, those are all really vague or those are really hard to change, right? Like I have three kids and I have my own practice and my husband has been working at a big technology company for 17 years and his life is crazy. Like, so sure, it would be really easy for me to say, I'm just going to change what I eat because I can't change the other stuff. And I think that's where I see with a lot of my clients is this idea of dieting or this idea of I'm just going to change my body is so satisfying because it's very singularly focused. It's very rule oriented. It's very like, I can manage this. I can do this. And, but the problem is then we go down that rabbit hole of actually thinking that we have a say over our body and our body often has other ideas. So coming to, to find that place where, okay, I can do this and hope <laughs> that my body responds. I can do this regardless of what my body does, but really focus instead on how do I feel in my body? How do I feel in my life and my relationships? And that stuff really is unfortunately more complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, so managing stress levels because cortisol is... Um, a stress hormone that can also lead to further deposition of fat around the middle, really thinking about how are you dealing with the stresses in your life? You know, do you have good coping mechanisms? Do you need a therapist? Do you, you know, need a regular yoga class? Do you need some meditation? Because that right there is a huge factor. Stress is a huge factor behind all kinds of other, you know, chronic illnesses in our life. So maybe stepping back a little bit and trying to not just go for the easy, well, I'm going to just follow a diet plan or I'm just going to, you know, lose 10 pounds and then everything else is going to feel better. Um, it's really um, understandable and common feeling, especially if we are used to following a plan, you know, a training plan or whatever, like, okay, well, I just, I just need to do this harder the problem is our body really has changed and doing the same thing harder isn't necessarily going to be the thing that gets us out of it. Um, but going back to your question, I think I kind of veered off track a little bit. Oh, but that, that's okay. Because that was all, <laughs> that was all important. And I think it's very important to, you know, just to pause there and, and finish that tangent. I do think it's, you know, I've often had recommended to people because, you know, one of the things that, that we mentioned offline or I, you know, sent to you offline was that I think it's particularly hard that self-acceptance piece can be really hard for audi our audience because it is, it's really real for them. You know, if you, if you gain some weight, it's harder to get up the hills. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a real thing and, and it needs to be accepted or not accepted as such. Um, but to your point of being curious and maybe switching the shift and the stress from that, you know, I have often advised people to be like, okay, well, find some, find an event that's not hilly for a bit, you know, find something, you know, just like where you can use your power and you're not fighting gravity and just like, see, because 
during this transition, so much is changing and it, your weight could settle down and shift, you know, all these things could happen, but it needs like your behavior needs to get you out of this hole that you're digging. Right. And, and I think that, that is, yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. And I was thinking about that earlier too. You know, I think I was telling you when we first got on, I was doing CrossFit for a while and my, I've always been very athletic and I got to a point where my recovery from like really high intense exercise was just crap. I used to do marathons and half marathons. I, my body does not like running anymore. And it's part of it is, yeah, immediately when I start running, I'm like, wow, I have like a belly that's three times its normal size when I run. That's so weird. So I've just been experimenting, experimenting. And now my, I'm into cycling not mm-hmm. anywhere near, I think you that, and a lot of that's your okay. audience. Don't, no, no qualifiers necessary. And I lift a lot of heavy stuff. So mm-hmm. two or three days a week, I have a coach and I have to say that like when I started cycling, the fact that I have been lifting heavy stuff for several years, like my husband was cycling a lot before that. And then I was like, oh, well, I got some booty. I got some stuff going I on. I got an engine. I, <laughs> I, I, could power, yeah, I could power past him, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think, yeah, getting a little bit curious. You know, the other thing that I would say is, you know, think about like what anytime you've ever gotten injured, right? You come out of that and you're just like, I can't do the same thing I used to. So you get curious or you get right. creative. Right. Okay, what can so, I do? Right. When I broke my foot, I could only do things on one leg. So I was still lifting weights. I was still doing stuff with one leg. I was doing leaning and this and that. So similar to that, like, okay, let's, let's figure out what this new body is capable of. Like, what's she, what's she all about? Um, instead of judging it, because I think that's the thing. We also feel like, oh, I'm a failure. Oh, I gained weight. Oh, you know, everything's awful. And given our society, it's so understandable that we all feel that way. We all have so much identity in the vehicle, you know, the the package that is us. I hear women uh, say they feel embarrassed a lot. Yeah. And that makes me yeah. sad inside. Totally. Totally. And I will tell you, you know, like I said, I'm 53 and I'm a dietitian. I spend my days talking to people about this stuff. And, you know, trying to find that happy place between feeling good in your body and making sure that you are act, you know, actively taking care of it and not doing things that are going to damage it. And I still have days where I'm screaming at the way my trousers fit. I just, yeah, you know, it just, it is, it's, it's a lot of stuff to, to deal with in a short amount of time. And we feel uncomfortable and we feel judged And I think the other piece, which is why I love your podcast is too many people don't talk about it. Right. You know, or it doesn't happen. Like we said at the outset, it doesn't happen to the same people at the same time. So if you're that one in your friend group, who's going through menopause really quickly and you've added 20 pounds and nobody else has, and you're like, Oh, well, I must be doing something wrong, you know, but it's, but you wouldn't say that to a girl who just got boobs over the summertime. Right. Like I remember when we were in, in high school, I'd be like, Oh, well, Emma sure changed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, or some women gain more weight in pregnancy versus others. Like it's these things just happen, but it is hard because there isn't enough conversation around it. There isn't enough normalizing and humanizing this sort of thing. And then there's the rest of society that's sort of saying, ah, well, older women, eh, you know, what are they good for? You know, you're, you're feeling like I have to stay in the same body to be, you know, valid, to be 
acceptable. Um, so there's a there's lot, a of, lot stuff, of pushback on that right now, which I'm very happy to see. And Me I'm happy too. to be a part of it too. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I know you practice some intuitive eating elements and I was curious mm-hmm. how that fits into this conversation. Yeah. Um, intuitive eating. And I know you had a great interview with Evelyn Tribbley. Tribbley. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love, um, you know, intuitive eating is basically kind of this framework that is designed to help us tune into our body. So it's based on this concept of attunement or what we call interoceptive awareness, where if we really listen to our bodies, which most athletes are pretty good at, if we really listen to our bodies, we will know when we're hungry and when we've had enough, when we need more food, maybe one day and less, mm-hmm. that we are really, really plugged into our body's unique wisdom instead of stuff external to us, instead of reading about all these crazy diets and saying, oh, well, these people must know better than me, really saying my body is the expert of me Um, and going deep and figuring out, okay, well, what, how do I feel best? How do I feel, you know, the most rested? How do I feel the most energetic? What types of foods make me feel, yeah, I can go four or five hours without feeling hungry and, and snacky. What foods make me feel super sluggish? Ooh, maybe I I don't want to have the fondue because that makes me feel like there's a rock in my stomach. So the whole concept of intuitive eating is, again, pulling back from all this diet culture noise and saying, okay, your body is unique. Your body has its own map. It has its own, you know, song it's singing, but we just have to plug into that. And so there's a bunch of different exercises and activities that I tend to do with people. We'll uncover if somebody is maybe starting to eat, as we found through the pandemic, out of reasons of boredom or stress or emotions, which is super common for us as women, um, where we just feel like I, I have to be in charge of everything. I have to be the one doing everything. And then I don't have any other way to cope with my feelings or, you know, nobody else is looking after us. So we will often, you know, turn to food as a way of calming down or coping. So sometimes, you know, my job will be to help people uncover, well, what might be getting in the way of you listening to your body? What might be getting in the way of you really understanding what your body needs? And honestly, sometimes training schedules and things like that can get in the way of, of, of some people's bodies because they're so focused on uh, this, 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 this. Um, sometimes training schedules and, and, you know, macros and things like that can be helpful because when we're training really hard, we don't feel hungry. So intuitive eating isn't necessarily a set of rules. In fact, it's kind of trying to get away from rules and find out again, there's that curiosity word I love to, to use. How do I feel best? What amount of food, what combinations of food, what frequency of food, what what exercise, you know, going back to where we were a minute ago, what type of activity makes me feel good and not spent and exhausted and just falling apart? You know, how can I learn about my body and do the things that, that it needs rather than feeling like everybody else knows more about what I should do than I do. So I should, you know, listen to them. Or even your own notions. If I'll share a quick story yeah. along that, because I have been guilty of having my own notions my whole life that I've had to sort of argue with myself against and teach myself again and again. But you know, I 
I wake up hungry. Like I, I, te- I tend to wake up hungry, which I think is a good thing. Um, but I, I've always had this notion of what breakfast should look like, you know, and, and it, it didn't involve like two big pieces of toast and it didn't, you know, it like, no, they should like, it should look like this. And then I'd be hungry again at 10 and I'd go like, you know, cause I'm like annoyed that I'm hungry and I can't focus cause I'm writing now, I'll get a snack. And then at some point I'm like, I am just going to eat. Like, I'm just going to eat. And I just ate. And then I didn't need my snack at 10 o'clock because guess what? I ate. And then I discovered, like, I still have these notions like, oh, you should, this, every meal should look like this. And I'd have these really kind of rigid ideas about it. And then on Fridays, I just would call it like F it Friday. I'm just going to eat whatever I like. And my weight got better. Like I would feel so much better. I perform better because I was actually just eating a pro- like feeding myself when I was hungry instead of visually saying, no, that's too much food on your plate. Yeah. You know, and it was a hundred percent. And I, yeah. I, 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 it's embarrassing how many times I've had to teach myself that same lesson, but, <sighs> but, but I have, yeah. and I'm here for you all. If you have to teach yourself the same lessons again and again, it's, but it's, you know, somebody, when I, when I had that intuitive episode with Evelyn, somebody kind of pushed back pretty hard on me in the audience. They're like, oh, I guess you're not competitive anymore. If you just want to let yourself eat whatever you want, whenever you want. I'm like, that's, that's actually no. a, a, <laughs> I don't misstating the whole concept. Well, I know. And it's not like I want the only reason I think you want a giant bag of chips for yourself is maybe if something else isn't right, if you haven't been listening to yourself and if you are like struggling with all this stuff, then as soon as you do like get into that place where you open that bag of chips, because damn it, you're going to open the chips. That's because you haven't been, in my opinion, because you haven't been intuitively helping yourself. No, there is so much evidence. And I know Evelyn went through some of this with you. There's so much evidence that talks about like when we are trying to manipulate our food, when we are trying to tell ourselves whether we're hungry or full, when when we're trying to control our appetites or avoid certain things, our bodies are brilliant at self-regulating. Like our bodies do not want to be manipulated in that way. They tend to fight back. So if we're not getting enough nutrition, And we think we can just, you know, tell ourselves, oh, we don't need it. Our body over the day is going to say, oh, no, oh, no, you didn't eat enough this morning. I'm going to have you make up for that. I'm going to make you think about food. I mean, that is literally one of the 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 self-preservation things food tastes better when we're really hungry. We think about food a lot more when we're hungry. We crave really calorie dense foods when we're hungry. These are all evolutionary processes to protect our species from famine, from starvation. So our bodies don't know if we're starving them as a diet versus it's an actual famine. So the fact of the matter is when we think we can control these things, it's kind of like, and Evelyn might've used this one. You you take one of those big fluffy plastic beach balls that you throw around at the beach and you try and shove that underwater. Well, you might get it underwater for a second, (laughs) but it's going to pop up someplace else. And then you, you know, or like playing whack-a-mole at the, you know, at the county fair, our bodies are designed to ensure their long-term survival. So what happens though, usually is when we skip something and then we're like, oh, I'm gonna not eat now either. I'm gonna wait till later. The problem is by the time we get to evening, which is when most of the people I know say, oh, I totally overeat in the evenings or I binge, I can't eat that bag of chips. You know, I can't have one chip because I need all the chips. Well, you've then gone, you know, your body has gone most of the day without eating and then you're tired 
and then maybe you're stressed. And then you're, you know, if you're a mom, you're like, ah, I need a break after the kids go to bed. I definitely need that chocolate. Like you've kind of backed yourself into this corner where your body is screaming at you. Hello, feed me. And the rest of all of your defenses and everything are, are down. But if you ate really regularly and really well balanced meals with some protein and some carbs and some fat throughout the day, those, those binges and those, those sort of feelings of being out of control with food really usually do calm down, if not completely go away. I also heard, and I have, I listened to so many podcasts. I don't remember which one it is. I listened to a lot of science podcasts, but there was a really interesting notion floating around about nutrient density and appetite. And, you know, that um, making sure that we are nourishing our body with nutrient dense food, because again, like you're saying, the body wants what it needs. And we have such a nutrient barren um, atmosphere sometimes, you know what I mean? Like some of our food has been kind of what we reach for is a little stripped. And, you know, if the body's looking for something, they're like, well, I'm going to need a lot of that to get a lot of what I need. And it's a really interesting idea, you know, which just like further it reinforces why, you know, the fruits and the vegetables and the, the, the nutrient dense food that you started talking about are so good for us all the way around. Yeah. And I think there's another piece and Evelyn may have mentioned it, but there's another piece that besides just nutrition, that's important, that, that feeling of satisfaction, that yeah. feeling of, oh, I ate something and yeah. I'm, ah, oh, that was good. And I I'm liked good. it and I enjoyed yeah. it and I'm good. Like I'm satisfied. If anybody who's ever dieted, you know, was like, okay, so I'm going to eat my broccoli and my plain brown and rice my and my plain piece chicken, of chicken without right. anything on it. What's you know, always chicken and, and steamed broccoli, you know, and you could eat the entire head of broccoli and be like physically full with your belly sticking out. And you would still find yourself thinking about food an hour later because it wasn't satisfying. Like there's a difference between being full and being satisfied. And I think that's another piece that's really important in intuitive eating, finding what is the thing that, yeah, quenches that, that appetite? Like, what's the thing that you're just like, yeah, I'm good. I had it. I don't, I don't need to look for snacks. I don't need to rummage around in the cupboard or sneak something late at night because I really enjoyed that meal. And it had a great balance of nutrients as well as flavor. Right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of interesting, I did a, a story years ago on traditional diets. And one of the elements I thought was so interesting is so many of them are grounded in having like all the flavors represented in a meal or all the, you know, and there's some, there's, and I I went to some retreats where I ate that way. And I was like, this is really interesting. Like, cause you really do end up satisfied because yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's this idea of mindful eating, which is kind of a sister to intuitive eating, but it is much more kind of in the meditation mindfulness piece of it. And, and what you just said, I think really flows into that where you really want to be aware of every part of the meal, like the smell and the colors and the texture and the crunch. And yeah. And if you think about it, you know, when you have a meal that has some sweet and some salty or some sweet and sour, and we've got some creamy and crunchy, those are the meals that we love the most, right? It's so palate pleasing. And then each of the foods that provides those things tends to be a different color or pack different nutrients Um, so yeah, I think when we're really, really plugged into the food and the experience of the food, 
yeah, satisfaction is definitely possible. This is excellent. I, I, I can talk <laughs> about these, all these elements all, all day. But I, <laughs> I, I, I'd like to, I know what's interesting to me too, that is unique to you that I definitely want to make sure we, we talk about before we wrap up is that you practice in uh, nutrition in Europe as well as the U.S., and uh, live in Europe 11 months out of the year. Where in Europe do you live? I live in the tiny country of Luxembourg, which is okay. sort of butts up against Germany, France, Belgium, and a little tiny corner of the Netherlands. Um, and how, how would this conversation be different if we were having it there? Or would it be? Yeah, you know, parts of it would be the same for sure, in both good and bad ways. Um, and in fact, I put a I put a note out to a Facebook group of women uh, in Luxembourg out last week, letting them know that I was doing this podcast, and <laughs> getting getting some more feedback. Um, I would say the hard parts about this are that the weight issue does seem to be very just top of mind for so many women, even regardless of the success in sport in work, et cetera, et cetera we all often get sucked into that. Well, this is the thing that I have to change to be successful. So that part was pretty common. But what I noticed was cultures where there's less of a focus on appearance or more of a focus on close-knit families and, and moms passing down information to the next generation and the next generation, I noticed that there was a lot less shame in these changes, because that does seem to be the thing that really kind of defines this, this whole stage is there's this feeling of, of shame, or as you said, like embarrassment and, oh, I'm doing it wrong, or something's happening to my body. But, you know, there was a woman from Scotland who had written to me and said, you know, my mom started talking about this stuff when she was 30, when she wasn't even in menopause, you know, and then we talked about this as I was teen, I even as a teen, I knew what menopause was. And she said, and now I talk to my daughter. So I think it kind of depends on the family as much as it depends on the culture. Um, I do notice that really, really appearance conscious cultures and really, really sadly patriarchal cultures, this is a much, much harder phase of life. I had a couple of folks from Romania and Hungary write in and just say, you know, this is a miserable time for women. They're just ignored. They're kind of put out to pasture. There's a lot of plastic surgery and, you know, there's all this sort of grasping at, at trying to maintain some level of acceptance and, and that men were very, very judgmental as well as women. Um, so my conversations with, with anybody throughout the world would be as, as a lot of what we talked about today, I might spend a lot more time being empathetic and kind of dissecting diet culture and its relationship to patriarchy and racism. We talked about that a lot in this yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, depending on the person and then sometimes people just because it is so steeped in their culture, they're like, I hear all you're saying and I don't care. Like, just give me, you know, just give me a diet. So there's a lot of, okay, well, let's talk about how to be healthy. Let's talk about being realistic. Like I hear what you're saying and it's really, really hard to let go of these things, but let's, you know, let's see where we go from here. Um, unfortunately, I think it is really challenging for people all, all over the world. 
Um, but I think it's really weird. I think once we get like 65, 70, then it seems like a lot of that stuff goes away, but it's kind of the, the, the 40 to the 40 to 60 years where we're still not really able to accept it. And society is, is kind of saying, uh, like what happened to you? Um, and then we get to a point where it's like, well, of course you're 60, (laughs) (laughs) but it's that middle point. That's really hard for people. And, and I, I feel that. Yeah, no, you know, I, I, and I, I certainly do too. And I'm, 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 well, I'm hopelessly optimistic. I'll, I'll I'll be transparent there because I just am, but I, but I also, I see it in the, in the community that we're growing and the community is growing Mm -hmm. hugely that, that women are are not, there's a whole wave of women that are not willing to do it the same way yeah. you know and it's yeah. very I don't be very defined by my weight gain very exciting Screw that very exciting yeah. um yeah that that you know they're like okay yes things i will i will because we are you know we are athletes we're gonna do what we can do we, we will control what we control get curious try some things you know like there's a lot that is still within your control and then at some point just like live life through the body that you have like this is it this is this is it and there are so many things you can still do. There's so many things you yeah. can still do. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things with athletes that's both good and bad is that mental thing where we're like, if I just will it into existence, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, you know, think mile 22 of a, a marathon, well, like, yeah. your, your body has said, you know, or, or any kind of endurance race, your body has said, screw you. And then your brain is like, no, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. So in a way that sometimes backfires on us because we're like, well, I just have to will this into being. (laughs) And there are some, you know, some phases of life where you can will it all you want (laughs) and and things aren't going to follow. So I think that that really is a hard part for athletes where you're just like, I've always done the thing. I adapted, I adapted. And then, well, now it's not going there. but finding those ways to be like, all right, well, what is my sport for right now? Or what is my race? Or what is my distance? Um, Yeah, having fun with that. And then, you know, finding things that make you feel happy and good about that. Like if you're at the gym, you know, one of the other reasons I didn't really enjoy CrossFit was I was the oldest one. I was only 50 at the time. I didn't want to be the oldest one. I didn't want to feel chased around by 20 something. So like I go out and cycle with my friends who are all in their forties and fifties. So I think that's the other piece is don't set yourself up in a place where you, 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 you can't live there. You can't necessarily be 30 anymore. So, you know, get to a place where you're with people that still push you and challenge you and know what you're going through and, you know, have a blast doing that instead of you know, spending all of your time looking back at what you don't have anymore. Cause like 50, there's, there's still a lot of time left, right? You know, there's still a lot of years of exercising ahead of us. A lot of ass kicking that we can still yeah, do. Oh, that, 100%. That is, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. My husband came downstairs the other day, I was doing pull-ups and he was like, holy crap. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you're darn right. Well, that's our show. Join me next week for my conversation with certified massage therapist, cycling coach, 
nutrition coach and elite racer, Tracy Jacobs. We chat about customizing training and recovery, especially during this time of life when things get a little tricky and how body work can play an essential role in keeping you moving your best. You won't want to miss that one. And until next week, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.